Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Orlando Magic Pod Squad. Yesterday, it was announced by the Magic that after more than 50 years in the NBA and more than 30 years with the Orlando Magic, co-founder and senior vice president Pat Williams is retiring from basketball. The Basketball Hall of Famer and the man that brought the National Basketball Association here to Central Florida announced at a press conference that he was stepping away from the NBA, and he's our special guest on this episode of the Pod Squad. Pat and the Pod Squad guys dive into anything you could possibly imagine from building this Orlando Magic franchise putting together the very first team, some of the crazy promotions that he brought with him from minor league baseball, and much more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Orlando Magic Pod Squad. This is Aaron Gordon. This is Evan Fournier. This is Jonathan Isaac. This is Mo Bamba. Need a new sports podcast? Check out what's new with the Orlando Magic Pod Squad. The host of characters give you a behind-the-scenes look at Magic Basketball. The Magic Pod Squad has you covered. Subscribe and rate on iTunes and the Google Play Store today. And a very special edition of Orlando Magic Pod Squad. And we are excited about this one. We've got the full gang together. Dante Marcatelli, David Steele, Jeff Turner, George Galante, and a very special guest who gave me some terrific advice years ago and said, Dante, it is not your job to bore the audience. It's your job to introduce the people that will. <laughs> Yet somehow you've managed to do both at the same time. <laughs> so with that being said... Did I say that to you? You did say that to me. Uh, and with that Love being that. said, the Senior Vice President of the Orlando Magic, Pat Williams. Pat, this is a treat, and uh, congrats on your retirement. And boy, who would have ever thought? You think back to 1986... Here you go, 2019. Is that something else? Well, I'm very honored to be here in the same room with the Pod Squad. <laughs> Impressive title. As well you should be. But David, back when I started here in 86, there was no such thing as a podcast. No. I mean, we just had regular radio. Right. right. Uh, we had we over, barely had radio. Yeah, we had over-the-air tele- television. But it's been a wonderful run. I've uh, been in the NBA 51 years, and... Um, I'll be 79 years old on Friday. That means I'm a year away from 80. And uh, I've been thinking long and hard recently about what do I want to get accomplished? What do I want to uh, put into the icebox? That's how old I am. We used to have ice boxes uh, over the next decade of my life. And uh, if I didn't do this, uh, all of these important issues would probably not get done. So I'm, uh, I'm fully recharged. I'm not a golfer. Uh, I am not a fisherman. I am not a, a stamp collector. Um, I, I uh, like projects. And above all, I like to build. And so I'm ready to start building in some key areas that are important to me. So moving away from the magic organiza- organizationally, it gives you more time to do some of the other things. That, because I know that you've continued to be an author, you've continued to make speeches, um, so there are things that you've been able to do outside the Magic organization that they've allowed you to do, but this just gives you more time to do more of the things you want to do. Oh, I think that's true, David. For example, uh, I've been asked, well, what's, what's on your platter? Well, first of all, um, I am a book collector. I have been since I was seven years old, and I've saved every book that I've had uh, for 72 years. Uh, we have, I mean, close to 30,000 books. Where are they? They're Right now, uh, they are in boxes, about 700 boxes, in storage at First Baptist Church, where I've spoken with them already uh, about uh, trying to establish the Pat Williams Leadership Library. I can envision it in my mind. I, I can see it clearly. Uh, I could see a place where all of my sports memorabilia would be. Uh, I can see visitors coming to tour and, uh, and visit the archives, uh, take in the 2,000 baseball books that I, I have, or the 1,000 uh, leadership books. Be able to put hands on. Well, I don't, I, 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 I don't think I'd be comfortable with it. No checking out but but mm-hmm. having a couple of reading rooms okay um coming to be inspired to be motivated uh to be encouraged in their in their growth uh that's that's a big one for me it's going to take an enormous amount of work um uh, probably an enormous amount of fundraising but if i don't but if i don't get on it full bore it's not going to happen 
the, the checklist of things runs down a full yellow legal pad uh, that are important to me. And uh, I'm going to try and attack each one of them eventually. So I'm, uh, I'm uh, ready to start this next chapter in my life. Uh, you mentioned it, David. I'm a builder. As you really study my career uh, from way back in my minor league baseball days in the mid-60s, that was a major building project in Spartanburg, South Carolina, into the 76ers for a year, the year after Wilt had been traded. That was a big building job. And then to the Chicago Bulls, who were one step out of the city, uh, ready to move, and uh, that was building. And then to Atlanta for a year, the, the Maravich era, that was building. Back to Philly for 12 years, uh, picking up the ashes of that 9-73 and 73 season that is famous or infamous. That was building, and the ultimate building job was here. Uh, starting in 1986, the, the effort to try and create an, a new team, an expansion team out of nothing in a community back then that, oh boy, wasn't much to look at. It was just a small southern city. And uh, so that was the ultimate building project. So I'm, uh, I'm a builder, and I'm, I'm very, very anxious and eager to uh, get back into that building mode where I think I, I do my best work. Pat, the, um, it, it's interesting. There's been a lot of stories written lately, and certainly when you made your announcements, you were stepping down, about bringing basketball to Orlando and what you and Jimmy Hewitt and the ownership group and getting all the season tickets licensed and all that. But nothing is really talked about. You talk about building a team. Nobody really talks about you putting together that first team and what you were looking for. The way I remember it, being a part of it and the stories and everything was, and people may not know this, but Charlotte and Miami came in the year before. Our rivals down in South Florida took a different approach, didn't they? They only averaged about 98, 97 points a game. You had a different idea about what the team should look like, didn't you? Well, Jeff, we wanted to have a team that could score and, above all, uh, be exciting to watch. And we were able to, I think, do a pretty good job of that, you know, with um, a Reggie Theus and with a Terry Catledge and a Scott Skiles and all of your teammates. You remember all that. Uh, there was never a boring night out there. Uh, I mean, we were competing and banging away and had some major victories. And uh, our fans who were new to the whole thing were elated. You know, they, were, they loved it. Uh, but really, Jeff, when you look back uh, during that era for me, uh, we put together fairly quickly uh, a championship contender. Uh, we came into the league in 89. Uh, by 95, we were in the finals, and with with uh, Nick Anderson and Dennis Scott and Shaq and Penny, I mean, we had the nucleus of, of the uh, top young team in basketball. I'm, um, that was a fulfilling time, and uh, to, to, to move that quickly and that successfully that early was, you know, a, a big achievement. So I've got, I've got good memories of that. We all do. Yes. And then the veteran Jeff Turner would come off the bench, <laughs> firing that left-handed jumper. He Hack, could shoot hacking it. somebody I down mean, low. <laughs> so I have to tell you guys, I'll tell you my first Pat Williams experience. Okay, so I come down to Orlando and I get a kind of a tryout. Um, I'm over at the, the old rec center. And John Gabriel, Matt Gukas, Bob Weiss are just working out individually on the court and everything. Apparently, it was good enough that they went to Pat and said, okay, we'll, we want this guy. So my agent calls me and said, we've got it. The deal is all done. you got to go in and see Pat. So I go to the arena. My wife, Dee Dee, is with me, and we go in, and first of all, Pat is taking a nap oh, no. on the floor, right? <laughs> But on the floor, wait on the floor. It was a cat nap. Not even in your, not even no, in your no, chair. No, yeah, taking a cat nap. Okay. So his uh, secretary, Marla, Marlon. yes, Marlon, Marlon, goes in and says Jeff Turner is here. Pat greets me and Dee Dee, brings us in, and before I sign the contract, I'll never forget this. Pat looks at Dee Dee and I and said, "I need you guys to move to Orlando," and we were like, "Okay, you know, we'll we'll be here during you know we'll be here during the season." 
we have a home in Nashville. He says, no, I need you to move here permanently. We are building something here, and I need you both to you know, be here and be a part of it. Ooh. And, um, I, I, at, you know, in hindsight, looking back, you know, about how important that was and knowing what Pat was trying to build here and how hard it was, um, I don't know if he asked that of everybody. I'm, I'm not even sure that's it's legal Ooh. for Pat to do that at the time, <laughs> but it didn't bother I quickly went home. We went, flew back to Nashville, put our house on the market, well, and bought that. a house in Winter Park, and we've been that's here ever you. since. How so about that, 30 years. So, but uh, that that's was my first experience with Pat Williams. That's very cool. <laughs> the second one, Jeff, you yes. might recall was uh you were uh, in that first year or so you were unhappy with your oh, playing brother with your playing <laughs> yeah. time yes uh, jeff wasn't getting enough playing time and i uh, and he and he said something in the media in the press uh, <laughs> that he was unhappy with his playing time okay um uh, i and I've, i haven't done this before or afterwards jeff you know that's i just let it go but i called jeff up on yes. the phone and said jeff you did not say Jeff. What did I say, you Mr. Called Tur- me Jeffrey? Oh. Jeffrey. You. So now here's the thing that uh, it struck me. Now, it was early in the morning. Pat Williams and my mother are the only people that call me Jeffrey at a time. Oh, so when you hear Jeffrey, cool. you sit right up. But go I ahead. Said, now. Jeffrey, I've just I've just read the paper. Senior quotes. Uh, that is not helpful uh, to the franchise. It doesn't make us look good. It doesn't make look for the coach and. Uh, You've got to earn your minutes. They'll come as you earn them, and uh, please, no, no more, uh, no more quotes in the Sentinel, please. I think there was a little more than that. Well, I've heard Jeff's side of the story. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, wasn't there? Wasn't there? Wasn't there a sort of a threat? There was a if you something to the effect if you can't abide by yeah, what oh I'm my. saying, then. I can certainly um, oh, no. find, find you, you another home. place, <laughs> or find you, yeah, find you another home Jeff, or something. That like. seems so out of but, but my answer <laughs> at the time was, so yes, sir. Good. <laughs> that was it. So I was good. I was very impressed with that, Jeff. And <laughs> that seemed like that's a good answer. You gave him the right answer. Yes, yes, yes. That was no. the right answer. And 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 not lo- and not long thereafter, uh, Jeff began to get more minutes, and uh, he began to establish himself. Uh, what we call today a stretch four. Uh, he before would be, there was such a thing, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, yes. Way, way before. He'd be out on the wing uh, with that classic left-handed shot. But never at the three-point line. Almost never. <laughs> Till the end. Well, we didn't have one. No, there, no, there was <laughs> one. Did we have one, one then? Yeah, oh, yeah. But it was hardly yeah. ever used. How much money would JT That's make today? Oh, he'd be worth uh, Twelve, fourteen million a year at least. Sorry, JT. Oh. You, may, you may want to try to get in that pool, get on that bike, <laughs> loosen those knees out. Yeah, those, to turn. Those knees you know, you know what I've never heard, that. Pat, is why why Matt Gukas? Why was Matt the perfect fit for that? Obviously, you had a relationship, and you go back yes. to the Philadelphia days. But yes, why, and why why was he so critical? Well, I'll tell you what. Once we got everything that once we got the team, and we began to put things in place. Uh, it, it soon came to the point was uh, who, who might coach his team. And my first contact was with a young college coach named Mike Krzyzewski. Okay. And, I, and I reached out to him. I think at that time he was about 42 years old and was really beginning to make a name for himself. And I got a hold of him. And I, I invited him to consider uh, coming here and being the coach of the expansion Orlando Magic. Um, he he uh, very respectfully declined, said that he thought his uh, roots were at Duke and that he was a college coach, and he, he passed. So then the next thought was, uh, and, and let me just say this, by and large, uh, head coaches are not easy or pleasant to work with. If you're the G- as a rule, oh, as, as a rule, as if a you're the GM, uh, they're uh, mercurial, they're demanding, uh, they can be uh, paranoid sometimes. Par- oh, all of the above, yeah. <laughs> and and and, um, and and particularly during the season, they're just not fun to be around. That's what I learned over many many years. Uh, the, the most enjoyable relationship I had was in Philly. My last year, the '85 '86 season, was working with Matt Kukas who became the head coach after Billy Cunningham retired. 
And I enjoyed that year with Matty, even though we came short in the playoffs, but I enjoyed it. Um, eventually, uh, a year or two later, he was uh, let go by the Sixers. He was available. And I thought, he, he's, um, he's the perfect guy. He's got experience. He's got a nice name. Uh, above all, I think he's going to be able to deal with the losing that comes with expansion. Uh, not pleasantly, and not, but I don't think he's going to self-destruct. I don't think he's just going to go up in flames, you know, through the trauma uh, of coaching those early years in expansion. Uh, and we brought him down a year early. It really was a nice fit, a really yeah, nice fit. Sure. He, uh, he got here early. He was helpful in, in our expansion draft, in the college draft, and um, he, he was just the right guy. And, yes, we had some long, tough spells. I can still see Matty uh, sitting in his office at the old building, you know, after a loss, you know, just slumped at his desk, and, <laughs> you know, uh, might be sucking on a cigarette, or, <laughs> just slumped. Um, but he wasn't screaming and hollering and going off in the night, you know, as right. a complete madman. So, uh, and, and Matty was a, a, a good friend and, and great. I always enjoyed being around him. I always enjoyed talking basketball with him. Uh, his insights were terrific. His roots go back to the mid-40s. As a, as a young boy, a lad, he would tag along with his father, Matt Kukas Sr., who was part of the media then uh, for the original Warriors in Philadelphia right after World War II. Matty would have been, oh, he'd have been four, five, you know, and he would tag along, right, you know, sit at the table. And so his, his roots in this game are just, well, deeper than anybody, anybody. So uh, I'm glad we picked him. He was the right guy, and he got us off to a nice start, and I think it was the, the right pick for us. You talk a lot about leadership and how important it is. Um, in bringing the staff together in 1986, 87, 88, what were you looking for? What, what, why, why did you hire the people that you brought in? You just mentioned Matt Gukas, Jeff Turner as a player, the other players, the other personnel that were the original people that were a part of this organization. What, what's the key in building a, a strong organization when you're, when you're trying to be a great leader? Well, I think first of all, uh, you've got to have people who have vision, who, who have a sense of where we're headed, uh, who see down the road, uh, who see in a wide scope, uh, who see in uh, vi vivid technicolor, you know, about what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, that's vital. You know, if they, and, and coaches tend to be night to night. Uh, the game tonight is all that matters. So it helps if they begin to have a little bit of a vision. I also learned with those um, those early coaches or any coaches, David, they got to be able to communicate well. They've got to know how to express themselves. They know how to uh, talk and communicate with young athletes. Um, it's awfully important, and this was I, I thought vital with Maddie, uh, with a with a new press, a new media that was all new to this. Uh, somebody that could relate to the media and deal with them uh, in in a uh, open manner, uh, not uh, haughtiness and arrogance, you know, about these young writers and, you know, what are they worth? No, you needed a good communicator. And I think Matty brought that. He, he understood what we were trying to accomplish with that vision. And, and Matty, who w went on and had a long career, you know, as a broadcaster and so forth, he was national broadcast stuff. He was, he was really very, very poised and very polished knew how to express himself well. Uh, I think that's probably the, um, the the best I can share with you. I think that really was part of what I'm always thinking about. Was there ever a point, Pat, I'm sure there was many points, but when you were, when you were getting ready to start the franchise, was there ever a point where you looked around and just said, this isn't going to happen? Like, was there, is there something specific that you just looked around and you said, good lord like we're not going to make it and then on and the flip side when did you just finally realize it was gonna it was gonna happen george how about every day right i mean i can't imagine the pressure in starting it we um we started up at a press conference 
the um, second week of June of 1986. And uh, all I could think of, you know, once you say, we're, we're in the hunt for a, a team, we want an expansion team. Well, uh, what occurred to me early was, well, w- w- what do we do now? And uh, there were six cities at that point that were trying to get in it. Uh, the league let us know fairly early that in September of that year, 90 days after we started, uh, they were going to have a meeting of the owners in Phoenix. And one of the key topics was to begin to address this clamor that had never happened before about these cities that wanted into their league. And so uh, the miracle of this whole thing, George, was that in that 90 days, we were able to go to the league and say, we have deposits on 14,000 season tickets from fans back home, $100 a ticket. Uh, at that time, uh, nobody in the league had anywhere near those numbers. Where were the other, during, like, when we had 14,000, yes. where were the other teams at that point? Like well, where was Charlotte and George, Miami I don't and, remember them doing a whole lot. Right. I don't think they had done what we did. I don't think they had anybody really to drive did it. Did someone at the league tell you to do this, or no, was that, that your was, own initiative? Yeah, that was my own, you know, no, they didn't. Just if, you show, if we show them this, they can't turn us down. The, the league uh, didn't let on or uh, whisper to anybody. No criteria. They just No. They just, no, they they just said, had to try and figure it out. You want to throw your hat in the ring, go ahead. And uh, so my, my thinking was, if we don't go out there with something to to attract attention and make us unique, we were the small market. We were the one that people said, Orlando, that's, what's, what are they thinking? That's absurd. You know, that was the general feeling. And uh, so my I felt from the beginning, let's we got to do something to distinguish ourselves. So at the first press conference, it's over now, we've announced and so forth, Tip Liffendahl, who was the publisher of the Sentinel then, comes up to me and says, put us down for 100 season tickets and a skybox. <laughs> Listen, um, we could, in my day, we could spend the whole summer in Philly trying to sell season tickets. We wouldn't sell 100 all summer. And then Disney came along and said, put us down for 100. I mean, we got some of these early... Uh, incredible things that and that just prompted me to say okay let's let's see how 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 much we can do let's see how high we can go with this but when you're when you're doing those and i i was a teenager i was living in the daytona beach area and i remember all the you know we had davy johnson was the manager of the mets and i remember he and i'm a mets fan and i remember he bought one of the numbers i don't whatever the round number was you had a press conference every round number yeah hey we sold eight thousand we got nine curly neal just bought this one davy johnson bought this one and I remember those coming in. Like, what was the reaction from the other markets? Like, they had to know what was going on here because you're you're publicizing it like that. What were you were you feeling anything from the other markets? Like, holy crap! Like, what are you doing over there that we're not doing? Well, they, let me say this: they, they they certainly wouldn't have expressed that to us, and they probably were doing something, uh, but we made a a big point of really proclaiming it. You know, we were inventing things to proclaim. Right, right. For you sure. Know, we, <laughs> For you know, some sure. examples. What were you proclaiming? I well, love these Well, we were proclaiming, as George just said, when we got to a, a, a number of significance. Davy Johnson, Winter Park City, he has come through. Arnold Palmer. Has just bought. Da, 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 da. <laughs> it's great. It's those are. I mean, I remember those when I was. I mean, I was 13, 14 years old. I remember. It made an impression. I, it made. Well, David Johnson was the one that hit me. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh. from, he's local. I, yeah. I think Frank Viola. Yeah. The pitcher Frank Viola just bought two and brought us to nine thousand. Amazingly, we'd, they and we'd call a press conference. <laughs> it was always a right, nice round. And we'd have a big banner made up nine thousand. Um. Anything we could celebrate, anything we could do to stir things like we're making progress. You know, we're really getting something done. We're we're becoming legitimate. Um, but George, after the owners' meeting, let me just point this out. This, uh, by the way, Bob Ryan, the writer, said after that meeting, he said the most significant day in NBA history 
aside from the court, he, he referred to that meeting in Phoenix because you had six communities, you know, vying, you know, and pushing. They wanted in. That was unheard of. You know, the last expansion prior to that had been Dallas in 1980. And since then, nobody was even even interested. And now suddenly, out of nowhere, here's six cities. Well, after that meeting in Phoenix in, in uh, September of 86, Anaheim was eliminated. They weren't prepared. Toronto, headed up by Wilt Chamberlain, was eliminated. They, they just didn't have it together. And we each had 30 minutes to make our presentation to the league owners. Um, 30 minutes. And uh, I remember cranking that up, and I had my 30 minutes. And afterwards, somebody came up, I think, to Jacob Stewart, the chamber president, and said, um, boy, Pat Williams was certainly effective. He certainly was impressive with that talk. And, and Jacob said, well, he's only been making it 500 times <laughs> to every Rotary and Kiwanis Club and Blue Light Specials at Kmart. And, you know, he's only done it 500 times. I remember correctly that the league only wanted two and then decided we're going we're gonna to bring all four in. Or is that? David, that was part of the whole excitement of the whole. You didn't know, right? You nobody, didn't know whether it was two. Nobody knew be anything. Two, one, two, three, four. Six. Now, at that point. Uh, the sense was these franchises would sell for $25 million. However, uh, once the owners saw this tremendous clamor at that meeting in Phoenix, uh, they began to think, hmm, $25 million seems quite low. <laughs> and uh, they began to bat other numbers around. So uh, I never will forget this. Uh, Jimmy Hewitt gets a call, as did the other cities. Please come to New York. Uh, we want to meet with you individually. So Jimmy and his brother Bobby went up to meet with David Stern. Didn't really know what the meeting was about. Well, the meeting was about informing each one of these cities that it would no longer take $25 million to get in. It would take $32.5 million. Um, based on what had happened in Phoenix, and uh, and this was a major story. How important, you mentioned Bobby Hewitt, Jimmy Hewitt. Yeah. The Cashes, Sid and Johnny Cash, Caruso. There were a number of families oh, in yes. Central Florida that, that ponied up to make this happen. Those people, you know, they, they, they rarely get mentioned, but there, there was a, a pretty significant group of local individuals and families that stepped up to make it happen, correct? Well, those were Jimmy's business partners. Uh, they had all been partners with Jimmy in, in everything he ever done, his banking ventures and his real estate. And uh, Jimmy uh, had, had done business with all of those people uh, many, many times, uh, made them a lot of money. They were always successful. So when Jimmy said, I need you to participate here in this basketball uh, effort and be part of this financial team, they all bought in because it was Jimmy. Uh, even though they didn't know where it was all headed, they trusted Jimmy enough. And so they, they came in. But, but here's, here's Jimmy and Bobby sitting up in David Stern's office getting the news because everything had been set up on $25 million and, and it would work. And suddenly it's $32.5. Uh, Bobby, who was a lot more volatile than Jimmy, uh, I mean, kind of, I mean, he was stunned and he began to, pop off a little bit to the commissioner and Jimmy had a Bobby just you got to quiet him down and Jimmy listened calmly and came back met with his investors and began to you know, work around and figure things out and they came to the conclusion that they could do it well the media heard about that and uh, I remember them saying to Jimmy Jimmy what happened how what are you going to do here how did you pull this off and uh, Jimmy simply said, it was magic. <laughs> you know, about refinance, he said, it was just magic, boys. It was just magic. So uh, now, Jeff, comes the big part. Uh, it's now well, maybe October of 86, and we don't know what's going to happen. Nobody does. And the rumors start flying. 
They're not going to take but one. Which one? Well, Minnesota has the strongest ownership. Harv and Marv, those two guys, they've, they've got the best ownership. Uh, then you'd hear they're only taking one in Florida. So with that news, I began to pop off about Miami. <laughs> Did you? I love it. Little <laughs> I still, I still like it too, actually. Yeah. I mean, I began to denigrate Miami. How so? What would you well, just crime is down in Miami. They've run out of victims. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, down at uh, Miami High School, I, I, I ran into Bruno and Tuffy and Hardtack, Hardback. And those were just the cheerleaders. You know? <laughs> uh, when, when you make your, your budget in Miami, you've got to allow uh, extra money for, uh, for stick-ups. You know, and... Um, Miami did not take it well. No, I wouldn't oh, think I, so. Yeah. Wouldn't they didn't so. take it well. And I remember somewhere in that period, uh, they sent uh, Dave Barry up here, uh, the, comedy, the, the columnist, the comedy writer, and he came up and uh, did a Sunday magazine feature to combat us on, on Orlando. Uh, he referred to us up here as Orlandoids. I do remember that. If you're, if you're, you're, an, you're, an, you're not, an, you're an Orlando, Orlandoid. Um, oh gosh, he really went after us. He said, uh, "And what does an Orlandoid look like? A low, far-headed, nose-picking Yahoo." He called us. Wow. And then he said, "If it, uh, if it wasn't for the Waffle Houses, there'd be no culture at all in Orlando." <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, he, he, you guys, wow. you guys are always surprised how much David and I just like. <laughs> That's where this all comes from. It, 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 it goes back to the origins. Right there. The Very interesting. I'm not oh, surprised did, at all, actually. We did, like this, 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 we did not like sense. him. Yeah, no. Still don't. Right. Well, you created the Schaff Award, which was a brilliant marketing. Play. Well, Louis, Louis Sheffel, uh, a longtime friend, a former agent and executive, he and Billy Cunningham, my mm-hmm. coach from Philadelphia, uh, they headed up the effort in Miami to get a team. At the same time, we're running here. So I've got uh, old friends in Miami, and we're here. And we're popping away at Miami. I remember Billy Cunningham seeing me and said, Pat, you know, he could bark. He said, Pat, he said, oh, let, let's keep this thing straight. You know, let's just, let's just keep it straight. Well, eventually we both got teams, and then... We decided to um, have a trophy. You decided. I decided. (laughs) (laughs) This was you. (laughs) Uh, Between the two of us. And then Bob Morris, the columnist, he was was great. He he decided to name it after Louis Chaffel, and it would be called the Schaff Trophy. Wasn't it a summer league? Well, well, the it sub- started in the summer oh, league. Oh, well, it did. The well, summer David, league game. David, I never will forget that. We uh, we had our expansion team. We had our draft, and we we had our own little kind of summer league. It was uh, uh, Miami and Orlando and Atlanta and Charlotte. Maybe Charlotte, yes, yeah. yeah. And we had our own little summer league. It was, we played out at UCF. In the we old, we uh, did. We played the there. And, but the opening game, room. the opening game was going to be at a, a spot in Miami. Uh, the Heat. And the Magic in the, in the first Summer League game. And uh, lo and behold, our team consisted of our whole varsity roster. You know, all the, all the, they all play, wanted to play. Um, Theus and um, Catman, and I think, I think we had them all. And so this game is going to turn into an absolute midseason, regular season Summer League game. Uh, I remember driving down with, with Larry Guest, and I, I went into the gym uh, fearful, uh, in, in full disguise. Uh, I had on a, uh, an outfit, you know, that uh, was uh, fully disguised. Uh, an like outfit. hair, mustache, glasses? No, 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 no. It was a, a pull-over-head thing, and I mean, I, it, was, it was not Disney-ish, but close. <laughs> and, and, and that's how I entered the building. Uh, fearful, you know, of what they might do to me there. Sure. Um, eventually, I think they found out. 
But, um, and, and I, I, Jeff, we prevailed that night. Yes, we did. Uh, they talk about the, the great opener, David, here with the exhibition game with Detroit and so forth. But to me, uh, that August Summer League game in Miami uh, was as big as anything. You know, when we took on the dreaded heat. Well, I remember a game out at, it must have been at UCF, that uh, I was a part of a telecast. It was the summer, that same summer. Yes, summer it was, David. And that, it, was on, could... it was on Channel 2, as I recall. Okay, because Miami returned the favor and they came up here. And we televised it live, a summer league game, which was unheard of. Isn't that amazing? In 1989. Isn't that amazing? I, yeah. I, you know, I lost sight of that. But yes, we used the UCF gym for the return engagement. And uh, touche. I mean, Orlando and Miami were off and running. <laughs> Where do you think that? Who has that trophy? You think? Who do you yeah, think has that chef. trophy? You have well, that trophy. Well, at your unfortunately, house? Or is it broken? Unfortunately, uh, Louis Chaffel did not take it well. No. <laughs> uh, he did not get into the spirit of it. <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> as excited about it. Yeah, and uh, the the loser kept the trophy. Yeah. You got the shaft. Right, I yeah, get it. Yeah, and I think, <laughs> yeah. and I think somewhere along the line, uh, Louis probably disposed it of got, it. Yeah, it got, it got disposed <laughs> of it. That makes sense. Or wouldn't There's, accept it, right. you know, graciously. But uh, Pat, you're such a great promoter, marketer, uh, campaigner. What, I know you learned from the great Bill Beck, too, but a lot of that comes from you. What are maybe one or two of your best marketing? That's one of them. That might be one of them right there. And one or two that maybe you wish you could have back that didn't quite go over. Wasn't there a bear wrestling well. in Spartanburg? Well, I did. You know, we, we <laughs> in had Spartanburg, the, right? We, well, we wrestled the bear in Chicago. Chicago. You did. You wrestled uh, the bear. I did. I had to. Uh, we, had, we had brought in um, Tuffy Truesdale with Victor the Wrestling Bear. <laughs> it was a January game in 19... Sounds like semi-pro. <laughs> 1970 in, in the Chicago Stadium. And we had announced uh, in advance uh, Victor the Wrestling Bear was going to wrestle volunteers from the crowd and so forth. Well, there was a well-known um, DJ in Chicago that named Wally Phillips on WGN. And Wally got a hold of this, and he began to call people at home. Uh, are you aware, ma'am, that your husband uh, plans to wrestle a bear tonight in Chicago Stadium? And <laughs> the next thing you know, it's it's taken off and uh the society for cruelty to animals emerges and they uh, they begin to protest that we can't do this and so well our lawyer eventually settled with them and the only way we could go on with the show is if they knew in advance uh who was going to go out and wrestle with the bear well we, what do you do here and so i said okay i mean i stirred all this up so i'll I'll be one of them, and we, we drafted uh, Ben Bentley, our PR guy, a uh, colorful little guy. He, he was the other. That would have been George. Back then. Yeah, George, yes, George would have done it. And I might have had to find a new profession. At that. <laughs> and uh, we, we um, halftime of a Warriors game, and we rolled out a mat, and here comes Victor, you know, walking out and uh, revs up on his, his hind legs, and he's about eight feet tall. And uh, I had, uh, listen, I, the show had to go on, and I, <laughs> I went, uh, went right at him. You, like, hit him? You charged him? You charged him. I didn't hit him, but I went right up <laughs> with him, and, and he just began to lean. You know, he, that's, that's what he does. He just leans on you, and the next thing you know, you're tumbling backwards, and and he comes on top, off to the side, with his, with, he had a, he had a, a, a harness yeah, on. A harness. You know, but he, he puts that snout right down at your face. Oh, it's kind gosh. of a signature. And he had... <laughs> a signature move. Of course it's it is. Go sure it is. go-to move is the... Uh, yeah. And he had not... You don't mess uh, with a bear's signature. No, no. He had not um, heard of scope. No, sure. Right. Now, having said that, that's exactly how Paul Bryant got his nickname. Uh, Paul back, Bear Bryant. Paul Bear Bryant. Back when he was a teenager in Arkansas, uh, there was a wrestling bear that came to town, and uh, the same kind of thing. You know, who wants to wrestle the bear? And uh, teenage Paul Bryant and a couple of his friends said, okay, we'll do it. And uh, Paul Bryant goes up there and thrashes around with the bear and 
you know, whatever, he carried on with it and so forth and so on. And his friends immediately began to just start calling him Bear. Hmm. Wow. That's how he got his nickname. He was Paul Bryant until the, the bear thing. That's interesting. It never happened, Jeff. I've often wondered. Yes. Why? You must not have fared as well as Paul what? Bryant. You must not have fared as well as Paul Bryant did well, against Paul, the bear. Paul must have been. Paul was big, you know. He must have. It's because Pat charged the bear. <laughs> I just kind of. You got to let the bear come to you, Pat. Let yeah. the bear come to you. You can't I just charge the bear. Yeah. Now, now, having uh, Jeff, uh, Dante, here's. I, I had this thing for animals. You know, we always had uh, dog acts or flying pigeon acts, and you know, so we we were always looking for that. <laughs> so when I got to Atlanta in the seventy three seventy four season, we brought Victor back again, and uh, he did his thing. But I, by then, I had learned about another act. It was uh, a trained pig act. And uh, the, the, the um, it was Uncle Heavy. That was the, the man who ran it. <laughs> Uncle Heavy and his, and his pork chop review. <laughs> Feat- featuring Pepper the singing pig. <laughs> so uh, they, they, they come out and the show goes on and Uncle Heavy does his thing. Uncle Heavy was a big guy. I'm oh, he was huge. huge. Massive guy. And he dealt with these pigs and pigs are smart animals you know and they can he had them rolling over and doing different things and i uh, i i was pleased it was a good, i was having a good night saturday night monday morning i got a call uh from the secretary of the president of the omni the hockey team and the basketball team his name was john wilcox I went down the hall to see him and walked into his office, and he was absolutely irate. Irate. And he said, I have never been so embarrassed in my life. I was humiliated on Saturday night, sitting there with all my friends, watching those disgusting pigs (laughs) out there on the floor. Just, just. He wasn't as happy about it. Oh, he was, he was just, I've never seen a man so upset. As a kid growing up in Boston, I've got to know. You? Did, yes. Did you, did you come close to working a deal with Red? Did, did you ever never. get on the horn? You never, never. You, you would never approach it? You no, never talked to him? No, no, no. I never called him. Never called him. And he never called me. Interesting. Red, <clears throat> a Red could be intimidating, very intimidating. Sure, sure. Yeah. No, no, no. The Philly, the Philly Boston rivalry <coughs> was yeah, like right, Auburn right. and Alabama, <laughs> or help each other, anyway. or um, you know, Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, we did not like each other. That rivalry was so frighteningly intense. Started with Wilt and Russell. Then it transferred into the um, well, probably the Bird Irving era. Uh, there have been some other peaks. It, it, and then it goes dormant for a while. But if they ever, and it's all related to the playoffs, and so if they get into the playoffs again, it'll surface again. It, it's, a, it's a latent fire that just Sitting there. burns in the embers, <laughs> and then boom, it, That's great. It, it revs up again. Uh, no, no deal with Red. Now, having said that, uh, Dante, later in life, <clears throat> when, <clears throat> excuse me, when Red had mellowed, uh, just a bit. Uh, I had a different relationship with him. Uh, I remember at a league meeting, uh, he uh, he had a condo in Washington. He never left Washington. All his years in Boston, he would commute. Uh, he was a Washingtonian, but he was he invited uh, people from the league to come to his condo for a for an evening uh, party, and that was quite a treat. Uh, he was a gracious host. And he had all of his memorabilia, you know, there. It was, uh, that, that was a time when you began to see Red as a, uh, a different person. And then later on, as I began to <clears throat> write on leadership, uh, I would reach out to Red and, and get his take on what he had learned about leadership. And, and, and he, uh, he, he had a lot of valuable stuff, lots of valuable stuff. He had marvelous insights into the the human psyche and uh, what made people think and 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 much of the basketball stuff was transferable over into the corporate world he was he turned out he turned out to be a rare treasure and fortunately 
he did enough writing, you know, to preserve it. And Bill Russell has written extensively about Red. Yes. Uh, so we, we do have um, a good bit of Red Auerbach uh, at his best, you know, that is preserved. But anybody could study him as a as a leader, as a as a, um, a student of human behavior, and, and come away enriched. Arnold Auerbach, <laughs> and and Bob Cousy to the day he died, till Red died, never called him Red. He only always called him Arnold. Arnold, you know. <laughs> and Bob Ryan, when he was writing, never called him Red. He called him Gray. <laughs> Because Red's hair had, had sure. totally turned, you know, and so Bob would refer to him as Gray Auerbach. <laughs> but he's still a legend. I mean, it was, oh. to have a statue of yourself down in downtown Boston, yep. pretty significant. Uh, he'll, he'll always remain as a Boston fixture. Pat, the last game of the season this year was in Charlotte, and um, the night before the game, or maybe two nights, I walked down about three blocks from the hotel in downtown Charlotte, took in a few innings of a triple-A baseball mm. game right in the heart of the city. Beautiful ballpark, beautiful night, great crowd, triple-A baseball. Mm. Why can't Orlando why, – why does, why does Orlando, Florida not have at least a high-level minor league baseball team, if not a major league baseball team? Well, it's a great question, Dave. We're, David, we're the largest market in, in America that doesn't have any form of professional baseball. It's not because uh, we haven't tried. Uh, you'll recall that for many years we had a double-A franchise here. It was a Twins Farm Club, then later became a Cubs franchise uh, at uh, beautiful Tinkerfield. And we worked, oh, David, we worked, and we worked to try and create and draw, and, and it was always, uh, it was always very difficult. Uh, the weather was a big part of it. You know, those thunder boomers that would crank up every night, you know, that was always a part of it. Um, I think people began to think of themselves as, as a major league town. Then they moved that uh, franchise out to Disney and, and, and that beautiful new facility there. <clears throat> That's when they were a raised farm club. And they weren't, uh, weren't satisfied there. It didn't work there. And finally, they just gave up and said, we can't make it in either location. So it's a good question. Um, they do draw quite well in Jacksonville with a, with a double-A club. Uh, the Florida State League, which has franchises all over the place in Florida, oh, a few of them draw, but most of them don't. They play in Major League Spring Training parks and they don't worry about attendance they're more interested in development so uh, minor league baseball struggles in this state uh, are they spoiled by the big leaguers in the spring um, all good questions I don't have a absolute ironclad answer for you but I still think Orlando uh, would have been the best place for major league baseball when they went to Miami and St. Pete uh, back in 1991, when we were really battling hard to <clears throat> get an expansion team, <clears throat> uh, I argued long and hard, Orlando's the spot. This is the future. This is where you need to be. And eventually, they, uh, they picked Miami. Uh, Bill White was then the, uh, general, the uh, president of the National League, uh, a long a long time friend and I remember after they made the decision I said Bill what happened what what went what, what was the story here and Bill said well we took helicopter rides over Miami and Orlando he said over Miami he said we saw housetops over Orlando he said <clears throat> we saw treetops and I said, but Bill, underneath the treetops <laughs> were the housetops. <laughs> That's great. By then it was too late. And uh, Miami, uh, gosh, it's now, what, 25 years or something, you know, something like that. Yeah. And they have uh, lurched and struggled and continue to struggle. And uh, then the next round came, and uh, now St. Pete was... 
making a push. And, and we cranked up a second effort on that next round of expansion. That was turned out to be the uh, Arizona and Tampa Bay. And we got in the middle of that one. I remember calling Bill Giles of the Phillies, who was on that expansion committee, and I said, Bill, how does this sound for you, to you? An ownership group of uh, the DeVos family and Disney and a, a beautiful new ballpark right here in Orlando. I said, how does that sound to you? He said, uh, it, it, it won't happen. I said, Bill, why, why not? He said, lawsuits. You see, Tampa Bay had been promised so many times. You know, when the Giants wanted to move, Mariners. hold off. Seattle Mariners, I think, too. Used yeah. them right. And when the White Sox wanted to move, hold off, you know, hold off, you know, wait, wait, wait your turn. And, and um, so, so St. Pete had been put into this position of waiting. And if, at that point, baseball had suddenly pulled the plug, uh, Agile simply said, lawsuits. <laughs> That's what you had coming your way. Well, Pat, last thing for me. You guys go if you, if you got another one. But if somebody trying to break into this industry, what, what would you tell them? You've done it now for 51 years. and incre- Your legacy is cemented. Just an incredible career and the thing that stands out for me and probably with you guys you take interest in other people you ask questions when i was an intern you asked my you took my lanyard to find out what my name was but you would ask me but you would ask me a question you'd look at it and and you stopped doing that last year which is so you finally but learned, well, I your name. Learned, <laughs> learned my name yeah <laughs> finally which i'm very proud of which yes. i'm very proud of Took but you take an interest in other people is that how important is that what, what are some of the keys that you would tell people breaking into this industry what were most important to you well, first of all, you better love sports. Yeah. I, I tell our young interns and all, um, you're here and you want to get into this industry. I said, but um, are you a student of the, of the profession? Uh, do you follow all sports? Uh, do you read the newspapers every morning like I've done since I was seven? Uh, have you read every issue of Sports Illustrated? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you read Basketball Times? Uh, I mean, are you really, really a student? Do you really love learning? Do you love the product? I said, that better come first. And then I tell them, uh, get your formal education done is right away. Um, I get calls constantly from young people who are wrapping up college, and they say, well, what do I do now? What do I do now? And you know what I tell them? Get your master's immediately. Get into grad school this August. Well, I thought I'd get an intern. Now forget the internship. Get your master's. Well, where do I get it? Doesn't matter. But start exploring it immediately. Uh, some of these sports management schools, you can get a double master's. Uh, so by 23 and a half, 24 at the latest, you can have a sports management degree and a, a, a MBA in one swoop. And at 24, you'll be fully educated formally. Um, I said, no need to call me back. Just when we hang up, just get on it. <laughs> just do it. And do it. And then at 24, then you can power your way in and, and, and try and get in. And then I tell them, internships are everything. Internships are, are everything. So uh, do your very best to get a, an internship. Uh, I would say half of our organization now are former interns because they've spent time here and we've gotten to know them, have a feel for them. And when a job opens, you'd rather hire the person you know rather than an outsider. So I said internships. And I tell them the story of uh, my son Bobby who did an internship uh, for uh, his master's with the Cincinnati Reds. And that opened the door to a 20-year career now in, in Major League Baseball. I tell them about an internship with my son Thomas, who, who did an internship with the New York Yankees for two summers, which led to an internship in, with the Red Sox, which led to a permanent job with the Red Sox. Uh, and in his first year, uh, the Red Sox won the World Series, and Thomas gets a ring. I said, that's not normal. But, he, but he's got a ring in a, in, a, uh, in a box tucked away 
uh, worth probably what it was twenty five thousand dollar ring when he got it, and we, and doing nothing but appreciating. Um, so I, I'm bullish on internships, and uh, so so I, so I said, now you're twenty four, you've got your internship, now you're twenty five, and now you're you've got everything on your resume that l looks sweet. I mean, you've got it all, and now you can really get after it hard and um, and, and and attack the job market. But if you attack it too soon, you won't uh, you won't be equipped. Well, I can get my master's when I'm older. No, you can't. Yeah, you <laughs> might, but you're, you're not. You may be married, may have children. Uh, you may have a job that prevents it. I said, right now, you don't have anything going, so do it. And uh, thank me later. So no gap year. Just no. <laughs> no gaps. No, no six-month You know, gap if you graduate in May and you're suddenly saying, Travel Europe I, or, I need you a know. year to myself, forget it. You need to be in grad school in August. That's what I did. <laughs> I, mean, I graduated in May, and I was at Indiana University in September in grad school. Had you ever heard of a gap year back <laughs> no. in your day? No, we don't do gap years. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. I think my dad would have punched me in the face. Any of your children do uh, gap years? Exactly. My dad would have no. punched me right in the mouth if I told him I needed a gap year. I need a gap year, Dad. Yeah. Smack me right in the mouth. Yeah, that's, that's what would have happened there. On your expense, <laughs> I need to go over to Europe. Yeah, I need a year to find myself. Yeah. Uh, can you fund it for me, Dave? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, probably can. <laughs> no, no, we're not. We don't do gap years. Oh well, this I left great. home, Dante, uh, at eighteen uh, to go to Wake Forest as an eighteen-year-old freshman, and um, I never returned home. How about that Christmas vacation, yes, sure. sure. And uh, I, I did get home for at the end of the summer, you know, after playing summer baseball somewhere, but I never returned home. Uh, that's th that to me is is normal. We have a huge problem in this country, a huge problem about adult children who won't leave home. <laughs> According to my good friend Dwight Bain, there are 13 million of them. Wow, how about adult that? children who haven't left home. Most of them are most males. Most of them are on Twitter, by the way. Pardon? Most are on Twitter. Yeah, and most of them are males. <laughs> and uh, you know, just happy to stay at home and. And, and the parents are, are frustrated beyond belief. How do I get this kid out of here right. and out on his own? So, so here's what I've learned about parenting. Uh, from the time your children are very young, maybe as young as five, uh, parents need to be planting in their minds that at 18 you're leaving. <laughs> you don't spring it on them their senior year in high school. Right. <laughs> you begin to talk to them cool. about their future. And, uh, and, and their future is really going to be in one of three areas. At 18, they're going to go to college. Uh, they're going to go into the military. Two of our sons went into the Marine Corps. Or you're going into the workforce. Unless you're a highly skilled young baseball player, you know, who can sign out of high school. Or if you're a tennis phenom, but they're rare. But three options. And the more you can plant that into your kids' minds, growing up, they know that upon their senior year in high school that they're moving on and they're going to move into their adult life, young adult life. And uh, we'll see you at Thanksgiving. <laughs> and, uh, and yes, we'll come back all, home. We're all going to stay in touch <laughs> and we'll have a great reunion at Thanksgiving. And then you'll come back at Christmas and then back to school in January. and. And you'll get a, a job in the summertime. You're not going to just hang out here for three months. Uh, you got to make something of your life. So we, we have made we made that very clear to our children, and I pass that on to parents whenever I can. That's a very good spot. It's a module in the leadership seminar that you're going to be doing. The, your academy that you've talked about starting. Yeah, yeah. That we'll do a little parenting seminar. I, like I, I, I want like to it. do a public speaking. Um, seminar. Um, by and large, by and large in our country, Tom Peters has said, um, the, the business guru, he, sa he has said, uh, by and large, he said, uh, uh, corporate speakers, uh, business speakers aren't very good. Uh, he, he said, I hear it said, uh, he, he's an average speaker, but, and then Tom would say, average isn't good enough. So I, uh, that's another area where I have, 
spent so much time and studied it oh so so closely. I want to I want to share that. I want to really challenge people there. I don't exude any leadership skills, but I would love to be a part of your your business moving forward. What do you what do you <laughs> whatever, whatever. What, I don't exude any leadership qualities, but I would love think? to be a part of that. Well, you, well come on down. Yes, what, I'm what, in. what I'm do in. you think? Here's a question for you. What do you think I could charge for a full day of leadership counsel and teaching and investment and question and answer and let's say from nine to five with an hour at lunch. What what, what would that companies be? Companies pay that, don't they? You oh, know, yeah, you know, sure. companies pay. Well, that. I know in some of these sure, things yeah. you see these stunning sure. numbers. Yeah, yeah. Like five thousand dollars for a day with. What would you pay? What, are we going to get invoiced for this time? <laughs> <laughs> or this is going to cost us? Oh, does this, is this not? Are we off record? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. We're on record. But is this going to this is going to hurt the us? Pod squad is ninety is, minutes of you pod know squad. We don't have a budget here. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. Pod we'll squad budget. We'll figure that yeah. out. But you're right. No, that's a great that's a great point. I mean, I, I want to crank that up point. as soon as we can. And as well, uh, you should. Um, and maybe uh, start with a small group. I, I think it's important that, that the people who come have, have a financial investment in it. Mm -hmm. sure. uh, that's called skin in the game, isn't it, Jeff? Isn't yes. that what we call it? Yeah. If they have some skin in the game, they're going to be a lot more attentive. You know, Jeff handled the leadership um, right. program at uh, Lake Island Prep, so you might. Pat, and I Pat helped me. Yeah. yeah. I forgot that. Is that you taught it, Jeff? Or you uh huh. Know, yeah. Isn't that great? See, if I were running a school or a college, I would have required. Uh, several leadership courses mm -hmm. because you're getting those kids ready whether you say it or not to be our future leaders yeah a lot of it was focused on service leadership serving to others and everything but you know we, we laugh about you know invoicing and everything I, real quickly I twice I needed a speaker at Lake Highland once was for the entire upper school Right, we had a, a kickoff leadership sign up for you know all these service projects and everything. So I made the call. I was like, Pat, can you help me out? And Pat Williams came to our school, and I tell you, he had 800 9 through 12th grade students sitting in their seats, captivated, hanging on his every word. And the best part, before this was even popular, Pat finishes his, up his speech walks in front of the bleachers and drops the mic right in the no lap kidding. of one of the students <laughs> and walks out of the gym. <laughs> you did the mic drop. Yes, he did the mic drop. Ooh. The second oh. time, <laughs> the impressive. second time when I was coaching my basketball, I always like to, as part of the team, have a book that we use throughout the year. And Pat had just written – who wants to be uh, a champion? Yes. And so um, I had Pat come in. Do you remember Pat? Yeah. I gave each of the boys a book. It was at a, like one of our pregame meals and everything. I had Pat come yeah, in and kind of share the principles of that book with the boys. And again, he had them all um, just just silent, captivated, hanging but on. But he his didn't everywhere. drop the mic. In that he didn't drop the mic. There was no, no he mic just on that one. Books. But <laughs> bing, 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 bing. We did drop the books. I, I took care of the books for the guys, so that was not a problem. I remember that. That was that was great. There was a great story in the beginning, the intro of that book about a um, uh, an AAU team or something walking into the gym. And on their shirts said champions under construction. Yeah, I remember that. I saw that. Jumped on that. I jumped on that and all on our practice really? shirts no, and everything no, we no, had, Chetans. I, I saw that and that, that sparked that book. State champs. State champs, eventually. Yeah, state we champs. eventually built yeah, that into something big. So, under construction. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. So, but, uh, so in your leadership thing, I know you're looking at the big bucks, but any like I, I think young people need to hear yes. from no Pat question. Williams. And no I will question. hope that you will always, you know, think about that as well. That means because, a lot, um, Jeff. That means a lot. And very I, that's important. what is on my heart. Yep. And I've got to figure out uh, exactly how to, exactly how to uh, make all this fit and also uh, how, to, how to make a living out of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, the magic are taking care of me pretty good, but eventually, you know, I'm, um, you know, I'm going to be out on my own. Um, we do have uh, a retirement fund, which is good. Our, our, our financial advisor is happy there, but uh, Ruth continues to work. She teaches for the Franklin Covey Company, hmm. 
and she's out there teaching leadership and uh, the, the, the seven habits, Stephen Covey's seven habits course. And so she's still, she's 71 and she's still popping away. Uh, she's teaching this afternoon out at one of the military um, companies. And so we're, uh, I, it had to happen, Jeff. If I'd sat here and stayed here, I wouldn't, I wouldn't aggressively be doing what I'm doing. And it's important uh, to be a little scared. Uh, it's important to have your stomach churning, I've learned over the years. It's important to have your, your brain popping. And, uh, and that's what's going on now. And uh, that's a good thing. Uh, that, that's good. Uh, that hasn't been happening here in a long time for me. <clears throat> well, I want to thank you for bringing me here to Orlando because I would, I would probably still be in Gainesville if it hadn't been for you, which was not a, would not be a bad thing. But uh, the University of Florida was, you know, that was a pretty good situation. But you convinced me in 1988 yeah. that uh, this, you know, I remember you telling me in uh, our first meeting that you want to do something really exciting. This is going to really be something special here in Orlando. You convinced me that it was going to be worth my while to make this move. So I owe a, a, a great debt of gratitude to you. Thank you for that. Well, David, it's been a good I, re run. I remember we had a, our media uh, executive who we hired was a guy named Bob Poe, mm -hmm. uh, who later became the chairman of the Democratic Party in uh, Florida. Mm -hmm. But Bob was one of our early hires, and one of his jobs was to get the whole radio and television and cable thing in place. And <clears throat> he came to me early. He said, I know, our, I know the radio guy I want right away. And he, he, he said, David Steele and so forth. I mean, there was no other guys we interviewed. And uh, Bob was bullish on David Steele. And I remember you, do, you did come down, and we had a good session. Uh, it, 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 at that time, David, it was a, it was a pretty pretty risky it was. decision for you you it were was. the voice of the gators and those college uh, broadcasters stay forever exactly i mean they never leave mm -hmm. and uh, so it was a, it was a jump for you but a good one yeah it worked out well and uh, there are not many uh, broadcasters david who have done 30 years in one city um i'm trying to think chick hearn of course Ralph Lawler, yeah. Ralph Very Lawler, few. yeah. Right. I, 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 think I think Vince Scully had a pretty good run. Well, in that's Los baseball. Angeles. <laughs> baseball. <laughs> sure. I, I think David. I think uh, Al McCoy in Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. But your health is good. You're what now? 60? Uh, 89. 89? <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> whatever you are. Yeah, whatever. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's a workable number but you've got for, a, for the future. You don't want to get that out there. Let's put it this way. You've got another good, solid 10 years ahead of you. Yeah, could be. Yes. When you can really be. Uh, Jeff like, says yes. Yes, he does. At, at your yes, best? I was thinking 20, but. <laughs> well, let's do, nice. let's, do, nice. let's do 10. Let's get to 40 years. And uh, there are not many who have done that. We'll so put you in the Hall of Fame if you get to 40. Really? David. Yeah, okay. <laughs> get you right in the Magic Hall. Yeah, right back in there. Yep. <laughs> two pedestals. You'll be the only one with two pedestals in the Magic Hall. Well, he'll go into the media uh, Hall of Fame that's up right. in Springfield. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's great. So, so um, uh, lots of good things said for you, David. Well, thank you very much, Pat. We look forward to seeing you here, here for several more days. And we're always a, a phone call away.